0: Welcome to Basic Christian Life. The teaching series within this podcast is a part of the Basic Discipleship Program. In Mark eight thirty four, Jesus said, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Our hope is that this material will equip you with basic Bible truths that you can know how to effectively follow Christ. Now, let's join today's lesson. Hey, welcome to this session of Basic Christian Life. Basic Christian Life. And in this session, session number nine, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. You know, this doctrine really makes Christianity distinct from all other world religions. This doctrine highlights this unique feature of Bible truth. God exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We see this reality very early on in Scripture. You see it in Genesis 1. The Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And a few verses later, you read that the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the waters. God is presented as existing in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You also see this truth in, later in Genesis 1, when God makes humankind. Scripture says in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, that God said, let us make man in our image. Notice the use of the first person plural pronoun. God refers himself, refers to himself as us. There is a plurality in the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So so we know that this person, the Holy Spirit, exists. Scripture affirms this. However, the work of the Holy Spirit, the nature of the Holy Spirit, is confusing to many. Questions, debates, and seemingly endless controversy swirl concerning his identity and activity. There's questions like when and how does the Holy Spirit indwell a person? Can a believer lose the Spirit? What differences are there some may ask between his activity in the Old Testament and in the New Testament? I believe by examining the New Testament truth we can shed some light on this matter. And I want us to do that by looking at four concepts or four important ideas related to the work of the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit. Uh, First of all, let's consider the promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Holy Spirit. I want to direct your attention to John 16, verses 5 through 7. Now, I want you to see that the Lord Jesus Christ Himself promised that the Spirit would be poured out upon the church. In verse 5, Jesus said this, now I am going away. And he's he's referring to his upcoming crucifixion, but he's also referencing an event that would take place after his crucifixion, even after his resurrection. He's referencing ultimately the ascension, that event whereby Jesus ascended into heaven and took a seat at the right hand of God. That event in Scripture is closely tied to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Think about Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. Jesus there restates, in a way, the Great Commission. He, he tells his apostles, You will be witnesses unto me after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So the Lord gives that great commission, restated, and in it he promises that the Holy Spirit would be poured out and that the Holy Spirit would give power for his apostles to witness. And right after he gives that promise, Acts chapter 1, verse 9, we see that Jesus is taken up to heaven in front of them. And so the ascension of Jesus and the outpouring of the Spirit are closely related to get to to, to one another. So Jesus here says, I'm going away to him who sent me and, and not one of you asked me, where are you going? So he's referring to the Ascension. He's going to be with the father at the right hand of the father. And he says in verse six, yet because I've spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus promises this person here called the counselor. The New Testament uses Greek language that speaks of a comforter. There's actually a compound word in the Greek New Testament used to refer to the Holy Spirit. It's a compound word in the Greek, paraclete," that refers to one who para comes alongside. It's a preposition to speak of something being alongside another thing. And then cleat contains that word for call, kaleo. And so the language refers to one called alongside, compound word, called alongside. Now, it's a great depiction of the the work of the Holy Spirit. He is called uh, to be alongside us as we go throughout life. He is called to the believer's side to provide assistance and help. And notice these profound words of Jesus. He says it's actually better for Him to go away because when He goes away, we'll receive the Holy Spirit and get the essence of Jesus' teaching here. And Jesus, in one way, says it's better for Him to go to heaven because Him going to heaven means that we have the Holy Spirit within us. So you could say, that in one sense, the Holy Spirit's presence is better than Jesus by your side because with the Holy Spirit, you ha- have Him on the inside and He's there to help you. Notice this great promise. Disciples should anticipate, they should expect to have the Holy Spirit in their life. Jesus has given a promise. I want us to notice that promise. But number two, I want us to think about not only the promise of the Spirit, but the presence. The presence of the Spirit. Matthew 28, 20, in giving the Great Commission, Jesus gave this promise as well. He said, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now notice what's involved with the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. The Holy Spirit in the life of the believer means that we always have Jesus with us. We have his presence. Jesus has promised the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's indwelling means that we always have Jesus' presence with us. He is a guide by our side throughout our life. We are never orphans. We are never alone. We are never abandoned. God is with us. So notice... the the meaning of this doctrine of the Holy Spirit. The Lord is Emmanuel, God with us. We haven't been called to follow a strict code of ethics. We haven't been called to just a cold creed. No, God himself is with us and in us through the Holy Spirit. We have a real personal and intimate relationship with God. This is what makes Christianity distinct from all other world religions. We haven't been called to just follow God. We've been called to be filled by God and the Holy Spirit. So you have a helper, you have an empower, you have a comforter, you have a guide in the Holy Spirit. Understand this great truth and teaching of Scripture. We see the promise of the Spirit. Jesus has promised the Spirit. We see the presence of the Spirit. This is a relational thing. Number three, I want you to consider the permanence of the Spirit. Uh, This is critical for us to grasp as New Testament Christians. Uh, The Bible teaches us that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is something that is continual throughout the Christian life. It is something that we are guaranteed of. We are told in Scripture that the Spirit will never leave us nor forsake us. Je- Jesus said that, Matthew 28, 20. But consider some other Scripture. E- Ephesians 1:13 says, In him, speaking of Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you also believed, he's referring to that moment of salvation, someone hears the gospel and then they place their faith in Christ. He says, when you also believe, listen, you were sealed in him with the promised Holy Spirit. Paul uses here ancient language that was used of one sealing an official document from a Roman official. A document might be sealed with a wax seal or signature. And that seal prevented that document from being tampered with. As a messenger delivered the document, the one who received the document could look and examine the seal and ascertain whether or not the document had been tampered with or messed with. The seal was a symbol of security in the ancient world. Paul uses that language to depict what the Spirit does in our life. When one is saved, when one places his or her faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live within that individual. And as a result, that individual can't be messed with. Satan, the world, the flesh, the devil cannot snatch that individual from the Lord. The Holy Spirit is a seal. And listen to what he says in verse 14. He said he is a down payment of our inheritance, the Spirit is, until the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. In other words, here's what the Bible teaches. The seal of the Spirit will remain in effect all the way up until the day of redemption, glorification, the new heaven, and the new earth. So get Bible teaching. Despite all of the thinking that's out there, God promises when you are born again, you are born again permanently. What's truly born again of the Spirit cannot be unborn again. This is the idea of Jesus in John chapter 3 when he speaks of this great doctrine called, re- we often call regeneration. When Jesus talks about this act of being born again, he teaches that it is a permanent type of thing. He says in John 3:3, Truly I tell you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be born again? Nicodemus asked. Does a person enter his mother's womb a second time to be born? Jesus answered, verse 5, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Here's Jesus' teaching. Born of water, that refers to birth physically through a woman. We know of the water breaking at childbirth. This concept of water in the ancient world was a concept used to refer to a physical birth. Jesus says, in order to see the kingdom of God one day, in order to be saved, in order to live forever with God in heaven, in order to have a relationship with God in the here and now, you've got to have that physical birth of water, but you also need to be born of the Spirit. You need to have a spiritual birthday. You need to have that time in your life where you repent of your sins and trust in Christ, you need to have that time in your life where you experience the invasion of the Holy Spirit in your life. Ephesians 1:13 through 14. Jesus says, whatever is born of the flesh is flesh and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't be amazed that I told you, you must be born again. You should know this. You gotta have a physical birthday and a spiritual birthday. Jesus says, the wind blows where it pleases and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going so is it with everyone born of the spirit this is a miraculous thing when we are born again the lord puts his spirit within us galatians 3 2 teaches us at that, that moment of faith the spirit comes to live within us first corinthians 6 18 through 20 teaches us this that we are a temple of the holy spirit and get the teaching of scripture when we are born of the spirit it is a permanent thing we can have faith and trust that He is with us always to the end of the age, Matthew 28, 20. We can have trust and belief that we have been sealed and that seal will stay intact until the day of redemption. Oh, have confidence, believer. Stand strong into faith. Be of good courage and joy and have hope knowing that God's Spirit is within you. You haven't been just called to follow a teacher You haven't been called to just try to mimic Christ's lifestyle. No, he's put his nature within you. And that nature will never change. It'll never leave. We have a promise for the presence of God permanently being within us. Number four, I want you to consider what I would call the production of the Spirit. The production of the Spirit. We read in Galatians chapter 5, That the Holy Spirit of God is what actually produces Christian virtue within us. See, I remember becoming a believer and I knew my language had to change. I had a bad habit of using corrupt, dirty speech with my friends. And at first, I tried to change my speech patterns through my own power. I soon learned I couldn't change it. I needed help from the other side. I knew I was helpless in and of myself to change how I talked or how I thought. I needed help from God. I soon came to the place of despair where I realized, man, I have no ability to produce the life of Jesus. Then I began to study scripture and I was relieved to find God never expected me to produce the life of Christ in and of myself. He's given his spirit to produce Jesus in me. This, again, is where Christianity is different from all other world religions. Oh, go and talk to Muhammad. Go and talk to Buddha. Go and talk to the secular humanists. Go and talk to Joseph Smith. Go and talk to Charles Russell, and you will find religious leaders who say you need to embody this code of ethics. You need to be good and produce this on your own. Talk to many misguided Christians, and you'll see that many have An approach to Christianity that involves little more than just man-centered behavior modification. But oh friend, get your nose in Scripture and understand the ways of Christ. And you'll notice that the Lord desires for you to experience change. That comes not through mere human do-gooding. No, the Lord desires for you to experience change by His Spirit. He knows you can't produce the life of Christ, so He's given His Spirit within you. And He's calling you to die to self, to take up your cross and to follow Him, to surrender your will to the Spirit, to seek Him through prayer and worship and to allow Him to produce His life through you. It's what some would call the exchange life. We have to learn. We can't produce Jesus through our own efforts or energies. We need the help of the Spirit. Now notice in Galatians 5.22 how Paul speaks of this, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is, and notice he uses this word fruit. Uh, Fruit is something that is produced from a human perspective by a seemingly magical process. You can plant an apple tree in your backyard. You can watch over years as that tree begins to bear fruit. From a human perspective, though we understand some of the biology, it still seems to be a miraculous process. No one could, in a vacuum, mimic or duplicate God's marvelous process for giving us fruits and vegetables. And so this word fruit points to the fact that the Spirit's change in our life is a miraculous process that's beyond Human comprehension. If you were studying Galatians chapter 5, you would notice that when Paul speaks of fleshly and sinful things, he uses the word works. Verse 19, the works of the flesh. So those are things that humans do, but the fruits of the Spirit don't come from humankind. Instead, they are a miraculous result of the work of God in an individual's life. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now be careful when you read that list. Many people turn it into a checklist and they say, I need to get better at loving. Let's work on that first. Oh, need to get better at joy. And know this, Paul doesn't intend to give a checklist for you to follow. He's telling you to follow the Spirit. He's encouraging us to walk in the spirit as he would say up in verse 16 so that we don't carry out the works of the flesh. And Paul's teaching us that when we walk in the spirit, these are the types of things we produce. The list isn't intended to be an all inclusive list. You could add other things to this list. Paul is just by inspiration of Holy Spirit giving some of the things that the spirit will produce in our life. And, and his point is to say, hey, when you're walking the Spirit, this is generally how you live. This is what you can expect to see in your life. As overall a point as this, Christian virtue doesn't come from human energy, it comes from the Spirit of God. And here is the secret of living the Christian life: learning to surrender one's heart, soul, mind, and will to the Spirit of God that dwells within, and allowing That spirit to spiritually, mystically, seemingly, miraculously produce the life of Christ within us. Notice this. The Holy Spirit is not just a trinket or toy, a mere symbol in your life. No, the Holy Spirit is the presence of God, an active force that will in time, if you learn to live by faith, produce the virtue of God. Lastly, let's consider the power of the Spirit. The Lord said in Acts 1-8, Jesus said, we've referenced it already, shortly before ascending into heaven, He said, you will receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Notice that word power. It's the Greek word from which we get our English word dynamite. Now, sure, Jesus and the apostles didn't know what dynamite was, but the word picture helps us. This is an immense dynamo type of power. This is otherworldly power. This is power with an awesome effect. So know this, when you got saved, the Lord put his spirit within you, And it is the Lord's will for that spirit to have a powerful effect in your life. In what regard? In regard to gospel ministry. You will receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon me on you and you will be witnesses for me. So notice the Lord's will for your life. He's given the spirit of God. And now he desires for that spirit and power to help you be a witness. In your family, with your spouse, with your children, grandparents, in-laws, he wants you to be a bright light for Jesus and to bear witness for the gospel of the Lord. In your circle of influence, in your neighborhood, at work, at restaurants, shops, banks, hair salon, barber shop in town, he wants you to go out in power as a witness for him. He wants others to see Jesus in you, and he wants you to share your testimony and share the good news with others within your circle of influence. And He wants to powerfully work through you. He wants you serving within your local church, ministering for the gospel. He wants you going on short-term mission trips. He wants you perhaps serving Him in some type of ministry so that through and great, great power the Holy Spirit might make Christ known. Know that the Holy Spirit brings power for witnessing. Jesus remarked on this in John chapter 16 and verse number 8. We go back to that passage in that chapter. There, Jesus said, when He comes, speaking of the Spirit, He will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Know this, the Lord, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, wants to use you as a witness for Him. And as you are faithful to live the Christian life and let your light shine, as you're faithful to give your testimony and and truth and love, regularly share the gospel, the Holy Spirit will do the work. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So let yourself be free. Don't be under this burden that you've got to change people. Love Jesus, love others, live the life of Christ. Let your light so shine. Look for opportunities to share your testimony and to share gospel principles with others. And pray that the Lord of the harvest, that the Holy Spirit would convince people of these realities, sin, righteousness, and judgment. And sit back and watch as in great power, the Lord uses you as a witness in this generation. Thanks be to God for the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Thank you for joining us today for our lesson on basic Christian life. Stay current with other episodes by subscribing to our podcast or visit us online at basicdiscipleship.net. If you have any questions about the materials presented in this lesson or if you would like to give feedback, email us at info@basicdiscipleship.net. Thanks for listening.